I did want to give you an update on our Advent giving through the Advent season. Um, as we come to the close of, of this year, we, like every uh, year in the last uh, so many years, we've participated together in, in giving uh, above and beyond uh, what we usually give as a church. And uh, this year our goal was 70000 uh, Currently we sit at 90000 So if you can do the math there, yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord for that. We are... $20,000 over our goal, and praise the Lord for that. Um, our, our record Advent giving is 92000 so we're fastly uh, approaching that or getting close to that. And uh, so, so thankful, uh, above all, for your heart, uh, for uh, this church and the ministry of it, uh, just not over Advent giving, or the Advent giving season, but through the year. And then also to know that the first 50000 of that goes to our budget, and then the rest... Uh, goes to France, to Serbia, uh, to Guadalajara, uh, to Real Options, uh, to ministries in, in our area, in Carrollton, the colony, like Young Life, um, and different ministries that, that are serving people, loving people uh, with the gospel uh, from local to the nations. So, so thankful for your heart uh, for that and uh, your willingness to, to sacrifice during this season. Um, just like the three trees have aspirations and dreams that Robin just read uh, to our kiddos, they have these desires that we heard about. Uh, as we approach 2018, no doubt many of us have that as well. Maybe some of you are already uh, planning uh, what your diet's going to look like in the next week or so. Uh, maybe some of you are as bold to have some aspirations to run a marathon uh, this year, and you got some new shoes maybe for Christmas. Uh, you're thinking about that. You're hoping for that. Maybe you're dreaming of that. Some of you may be dreaming of or hoping for a raise or a promotion this year or whatever it may be. Um, if you're hoping or dreaming of playoffs of any team in the Dallas area, um, I would stop uh, pretty quick. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, probably not going to happen any time in the future. Uh, there's, though, many uncertainties as we look at this new year. Um, we obviously, Scripture tells us, we, we don't even know what tomorrow brings for us. Um, many uncertainties. But this morning, I, I want to show you from God's Word as we finish our series in 1 John of the Father's heart for us, the Father heart of God. I want you, you to see the certainties that he gives to us as his children. A lot of uncertainties in our world. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what 2018 brings, but there are certainties that we can know this morning. And so this morning as we look at this, this text, my prayer for you is that as we say farewell to 2017, we say hello to 2018 tonight at midnight, that you would know who you are in Christ. And you would know as a result of that the certainties that you can hold dear so that when you lay your head down tonight and when you wake up in the morning to a new year, you are grounded in these foundational things of the faith and that this year you would walk with the Lord, that you would live for him passionately based on what he says here. And so let us turn there this morning. There's five certainties that I want us to walk away with this morning. As we look at this text, you're going to see John use this one word seven different times. It's the word know. 
And it's significant, not just here at the end of this letter, but throughout John's writing, one of the things that he so desperately wants us to know is to know, to have this assurance, to have this certainty, to have this confidence of our faith in him that we have many things that we're going to look at this morning and what that means for us and that we would not take them for granted, that we would hold dear to these certainties. And so this morning, turn to the first certainty, if you would, with me in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the certainty of eternal life. Listen to what John says. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote this letter for this reason. This is his purpose statement in the whole letter here as we close this series. John wrote his gospel for this reason, to move readers to faith in Jesus that they may receive eternal life. We see that in John 20, verse 31. But here in this letter, he has written to assure believers, those who have believed that they know for certain that they hold and possess and have eternal life. For to have the Son, to know the Son, to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior is to have eternal life because that's what Jesus does for those who believe in him. He gives them life. It gives them eternal life. Eternal life is not a prize that we have earned, but it's undeserved. It's a gift given by God, found in Jesus alone. It's a, pres- it's a pos- present possession, full of the hope of future grace, as one day we'll be with Jesus forever. But there's something significant here. One must believe. One must believe in the name of Jesus Christ, who he is and all that he has done to purchase our redemption and our salvation. But John wants us to know that we can know for certain that we have eternal life. And so as you read this this morning, I want you to know it is not, I hope so, (laughs) that I hope I have eternal life. It's not that. It's not something that, that weighs in the balance for us as those who believe in Jesus. No, John wants us to be able to walk away today and say, listen, I know, I know for certain, I, I know because of what God's word says, that if I believe in who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he came from heaven to earth and died for me, that he overcame the power of sin, death, and the enemy through his death. And as a result of that, because of my trusting in him as one, the only one, to take the place for me and bear my sin and bear the punishment of God's wrath, I believe in that. As a result of that, you can walk away today and say, I have life. I have eternal life forever. And so, I think about that this morning, and it makes me ask the question, what do we have to fear if we possess eternal life? The Apostle Paul would say, nothing. Nothing. And so as we enter into 2018 with uncertainties and maybe fears even, I mean, some of us, we look at 2018, we're full of dreams and stuff, but maybe for some of us, I mean, we fear, but here's my question, well, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Because the greatest penalties of all, the greatest fears, the greatest um, things that we should fear in life, even like death, they have been done away with for us. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, oh death, where's your sting? Oh death, where's your victory? Because it has been swallowed up by Jesus Christ in sweet victory for us. 
And so we do not have to fear because we possess eternal life. And so what John is going to do here, and you've heard this book said before, um, often in life, where it's not what you know, but what? It's who you know. It's who you know. It's who you know. I have a buddy of mine, um, because of his line of work, he, he gets to uh, go to different places where uh, people like me don't get to necessarily go and into different places. And one of the things that, that he gets to do because of his line of work is he gets to go to the star here in Dallas. Now, you and I and probably many of us in here, we can go play on the field out in front of the Cowboys practice place and, and we could go and maybe pay to take a tour. But this gentleman, this friend that I have in the neighborhood, one of the things that, that he gets to do, he, get, he gets to go inside and eat among the players among staff and different things like that. And I'll never forget the day he invited me. He said, hey, I want you to join me for lunch. And I said, where would you like to go? He said, let's go to the Star. And I'm like, okay, I can go to like Cane's outside the Star or something like that. Or, you know, whatever is around the corner, but, but inside. And he's like, yeah, I want you to go up to the Cowboy Club. And he said, um, just when you come up, just tell them you're with me. And I'm like, oh, Okay, and so go up the elevator, and and took forever to 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 get through different places and get to the security. And they're like, uh, "Sir, are you a member of the club?" And I'm like, "No, no." And I'm dressed just like this. All right, it's how I roll. And I walk in there, and they're like, "Who, who are you with?" Well, I was, and I saw him. I said, "Well, I'm with that gentleman right there." And I gave him his name. He's like, "Okay, sir, welcome." And you come on in, and and of course, what I'm doing, I immediately take out my phone, and I start taking pictures. All of a sudden, a waitress comes up and says. You can't take pictures in here. I need you to delete that right away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And I quickly rem rem was reminded where I was. But I was there because of who I knew, my buddy, my friend, who just happens to be able to go to such a place. And so here in God's word, we apply this to Jesus. It's who you know that's important. And do you know Jesus? And John says here, if you do, you have the certainty of what? Eternal life. Eternal life. Now look at the second certainty he gives us, and this is an amazing one, that he gifts to those who are children of God. And look at verse 14 through 15. He says here, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. And so from this assurance of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior flows confidence in the believer's relationship with Jesus in what they know and what they have. And so what do we have here? John mentions here prayer. And prayer is simply communication with God. It's, it's that you and I get to talk with God. It's, it's what our relationship is about. That, that he is communicating with us through his word and that we are communicating with him through prayer and that we meet with him and that we can talk with him even through the day, even as we're going through the day, that we're in communication with God through prayer. And so John says here that we can go to God with what? With absolute confidence that God will answer prayer when we approach the throne of grace. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in 4.16. He says, therefore, let us draw near with what? With confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of 
need. Now don't think, obviously, for one minute when you hear these words that we can ask anything, that we can just go to God and treat him like Santa Claus, right? That's not the case. Obviously, that's not what John has in mind. There's a significant key to answered prayer that he tells us we can have. And he says here, a key phrase, it's praying according to the will of God. To pray according to God's will is to pray in agreement with what God would want, not with what we necessarily would desire or insist that he do for us, but that we pray in alignment with what God so desires. And so what does that mean? It implies to us this morning that we must be people that are in the word of God. Because where else do we find out God's will? In the word of God. That's it. As we read the word of God, we find out the promises of God, the truth of God, and what God wants for our life and what he desires for children that belong to him and for us on how we're to live as we seek to follow him. And so as we pray, we pray according to the word of God. So I want to encourage us as we enter 2018 to commit ourselves to daily times of prayer, to daily times of of reading God's word so that we can pray with such confidence, with prayers in line with God's will. So let me give you just a couple of resources. One of the things that's helpful to me, and especially this last day of the year, if you will, are just some uh, websites to give us Bible reading plans. I know for me, I need to have a plan. And we've got to take the initiative, because if, if, if we don't plan for anything, we'll, we won't do anything. If we plan for nothing, we will do nothing. And so we've got to take the initiative and, and make a plan. And so Bible.org has many plans. Another one that I personally love is, is Ligonier, or Ligonier, however you want to say that, .org, a great site. They have many different plans of, of, of reading through the Bible. And then obviously, some of you guys have the Bible app, the YouVersion app, and they have many different plans as well. And so let me encourage you to go to those websites and to find a plan, uh, one for you. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to read through the Bible in one year. For some of you, we look at that and we're thinking, if that's the plan, man, that's just too much. Because you know when you get to Leviticus that you're out, right? You're out. Um, and so there's plans, plans for you to encourage you um, that you would read the Word of God in 2018. There's also another resource I want to encourage you to go to is on our website. We have daily Bible readings uh, every weekday uh, that members of our church write. And those are there on our website. We'd love for you to go there and you can find readings. For example, tomorrow you'll find Isaiah 26, 1 through 10 and just a little writing about that section of scripture, just something to encourage you uh, that you hear straight from even members of our church. And so John gives us an example. This is pretty neat. He, he doesn't just leave us hanging and saying, okay, well, what specifically does this type of praying according to God's will, what does it look like? And well, look what he says. He gives us an example of that in verse 16 through 17. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. And he says, I do not say that he should make requests for this, and all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, you read that, and you're like, what? Anyone like, what? Can you say that again? I want to read that like 20 or 30 times. Uh, so I just kind of understand what he's saying here. There's a phrase there that kind of 
takes us away, I think, a little bit. It's that idea that sin leading to death and sin not leading to death. And so what is John talking about? I don't want you to get wrapped up just in that phrase. That phrase helps us. But here's what I want you to hear from this text, is that what does God desire? What is his will? His will for us and his will for our brothers and sisters in the Lord is that we would what? Repent. That we would be people who walk in repentance. As the gospel tells us, that we would be people, uh, John called people to this, to bear fruits of what? Repentance. That we'd be people who, um, when, when we sin, that, that we're quick to confess and we're quick to turn from our sin and to instead walk with him. And so that's what God desires. He desires his children to walk in obedience. And when they don't, he desires them from, to turn from that sin, to have a change of mind and to walk in obedience. But there is times where sin will lead to one's physical death. I believe that's what John has in mind. There's many thoughts on what he's talking about here. Let me take you to, to Acts 5. You remember uh, a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. They, they knew this very well. A, a sin that led to physical death right away, right away. Premeditated, uh, unconfessed sin that led to physical death. And I think that's what John is talking about here. So what, what is he calling us to do? He's saying, hey, pray. Pray for the community of believers. Pray for those that in your life group or your circle of friends that you know in the faith, and maybe you know that, hey, they're walking in sin. Maybe you know of something they're struggling with, and what he's saying here, pray for them. Pray for them that they would repent, that they would repent, and so not get to a place where they habitually sin and don't start confessing their sin because there is potentially the end to God's tolerance with them. There is an end to God's patience, and it could end even in a physical death because of sin. That's what John has in mind here. Now, does that mean there's just a particular sin that this will happen with? No, I don't think that's the idea. I don't think he has that in mind whatsoever. But I think what he means is that with some, there is a point to where the tolerance and patience of God ends. And so he says in light of that, we must pray. Now, so I think the point is this morning, as a church, we must pray for each other, that we walk in the ways of the Lord, that we would be quick to repent when we don't, that we'd be quick to confess when we don't, and that instead we would turn and walk in obedience, and so that we would be reminded as a community how important it is that we pray for one another. You may be here today and Maybe you don't know people here yet. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you've been kicking the tires of just trying to figure out uh, the ridge and, and where God wants you. And we want to encourage you, man, step into community here. Maybe you have been here for a while and you haven't stepped into community yet. I want to encourage you to check out a life group. and Maybe make that one of your uh, goals for this new year is to find a group to get involved with. God wants us in community with people. And he wants us to be praying one another. Thirdly, let me show you this third certainty as we roll pretty quick here. He says in verse 18, we know that no one is, who is born of God sins. Interesting statement. But he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. The certainty here is, is one of victory over sin and Satan. And so we have this certainty of eternal life. We have this certainty of answered prayer. Here we have this certainty of victory over sin and over Satan. 
We can be certain of God's victory over sin, and therefore, as those who have been born again, we do not have to keep on sinning. The idea here where he says, no one who is born of God sins, is the idea of no one who is born of God habitually and continually walks in sin, knowingly, willingly, without confessing and seeking to repent. That's the idea. So those who are born of God, instead, what do they do? They seek to obey. They seek to follow the will of God. It doesn't mean that we won't ever sin, no. But it does mean that we have the victory over sin. Why is that? Because the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave now lives in us, the Holy Spirit, so that we can overcome temptation. We can overcome the test of the enemy. And then he says here also, the one who is born of God, that God keeps him. That speaks of God's protection, God's security from Satan himself, from the enemy, that God keeps him. There's a few verses in John 10 that I've held on to for years. In fact, when I was in college, and I've shared this before, when God was calling me into ministry, one of the, the things that Satan would do is, is tell me, hey, you're not worthy enough. That there's no way that God would be calling you into ministry. That there is no way. And, and, and I remember him just uh, being the, the one of uh, accusations and accusing of saying, hey, you're this, you're this. And I had two buddies at the time that would continue to remind me of God's word as I struggled with this. And a lot of it was around assurance. And the passage that we would turn to often was in John 10, 27 through 29. I want you to just hear this this morning. It says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one, I want you to hear, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is the double protection of the Son and the Father, and no one is going to snatch us out of his hand. Once we are found in him and born again, no one can take that away. His protection is forever. Sure, Satan will persecute, Satan will tempt, Satan will test, and he will accuse, but God protects his children, places definite limits on Satan's influence and his power so that we are kept by him. So we have victory over sin. We have victory over the enemy, and fourthly, we have certainty of belonging to God even through the uh, in a world that belongs to Satan. I want you to hear that this morning. We have certainty of belonging to God even though the world belongs to Satan. That might be a tough statement for us this morning, but look what John says in verse 19. He says, we know that we are of God, that we are born from above, that we are children of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We've learned in this letter that John looks at the world in two ways. He says there's two types of people in the world, and that's it. There's children of God, and there's children of the enemy. That is it. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, they're children of God. But those who don't, they oppose God. They make God out to be a liar, and therefore they are children of Satan. That's what he talks about in chapter 3, verse 10. But one who belongs to God needs to realize that we live in a world where the evil one has power over. 
This world system is Satan's domain, and the whole world belongs to him. We hear that this morning, and that should, I hope, stun you. I hope it affects you, but we've got to be aware of that. Now, God is sovereign, and he is sovereign over the enemy, and the devil has no free hand in this world. I want you to know that. He is on a leash and can only do what God permits him to, so I want you to remember that, but I want you to know that there are two kingdoms in conflict, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Everyone is in this battle. There's no neutral zone. And so as believers, this is what we're up against. We should not only be aware of this, but like I said before, stunned by it. So what does that mean for us? Just real simply, what does he have in mind? And the certainty that we have is this. It means the evil one is the ruler of the world currently. He's This world, as a result, is an evil place to live in, and we live in an evil time. Many of us in here would say, yes, I'm with you on that. I see that. And so the whole world lies in the power of the enemy. Entertainment, business, politics, economics, media, you name it. This is what we are up against as those who belong to God. So what do we do? What's our encouragement here as those who belong to God? I think the words of Paul to Timothy are fitting, that we must fight the good fight of faith. And so that we would keep the faith and a good conscience and not reject or turn from our faith because that's the goal of the enemy. That's the goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so be encouraged by this verse in Psalm 144, verse 1, where it says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Because we're in a battle. Satan would love for us and our witness to be destroyed in 2018 for him. That we would walk away from living for the Lord. That we would walk in sin or do something to destroy our witness, to destroy our family. He would love that. And that's his goal. He would love for us to so be distracted with other things in our life and our world that we would not love and care for the souls of others and share the gospel with them. He'd love for that. But we are of God. And so we are empowered to live and to overcome the enemy. And instead, to not be those who turn to sin, but to be those who walk according to the will and the way of God and care and love for the souls and the hearts of those who are lost, that they would know the gospel as well. That's God's desire for us. And lastly, look at this last certainty. This is huge, and we'll close on this thought. He says, we can have certainty that Jesus is the one true God. This is what everything hinges on. And see, if we get away from this, uh, Satan has us, right? And so here it is. He says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And so we know for certain that God has given us Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who has come. He's come from heaven to a womb of a young teenager virgin girl to be born in Bethlehem. We just celebrated that. And we believe that, and he is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ who has come. And so the certainty of the incarnation is everything, is everything, is everything. And so Jesus has come, and he says here to give us understanding that we may know that the God declared in the Bible is 
true and that there is no other. He is the genuine one and everything that opposes him is false. And so we are in him, he says. We are in his son. And so John says here, this is the truth. This is the true God. He's declared it throughout this letter. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is the true way to eternal life. There is no other way. It's not Oprah's way. It's not um, the way of good works. It's not climbing this ladder to be this good person. It's not the way that John had to oppose in his letter uh, of those who didn't believe that Jesus truly was God. It's not that way. No, what John is saying, he is the one true God. And through him and through him alone, he is the one who gives eternal life. And so I pray, church, that we would hold dear to that. And that would be the key to our life. The worship of our life would be Jesus. And John says, as he wraps up this whole letter, he says, little children, guard yourself from idols. We might think, wow, that's just kind of a throw in there, last little statement, right? like, like a little P.S., but it's, it's not. It's not. In regards to who you are, what John is saying in Jesus, and the certainties which we have, what John is saying is, guard yourselves. Guard yourselves. See, because opposite the one true God in verse 20 is idols. They are anything that oppose Jesus Christ to be the one true God, the only way to eternal life. And God's put many idols in our world, especially here in America, North America, many in our path, to rob our affection, to rob our attention, to rob our passion, to rob our devotion to Jesus Christ. And so John says here, Live for the one true God, worship the one true God, and have no other idols. So guard yourselves, keep yourselves from all that is false, all that opposes, and all that comes up against Jesus. And so church, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. As you look at 2018, I pray that your dreams, I pray that your aspirations, I pray that your desires for this new year is that your life just like the trees that our kids heard about, that your life would point to God, that you would have more goals and more bucket lists about living for Jesus than you would about earthly things. I pray that that's what you pursue. I pray that's your passion as you say goodbye to 2017 and hello to 2018. Let's pray together.